Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we're delighted to be joined by Minnow, who has just released her debut EP, Bleeding Hearts Disco. Um, Minnow, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you and whereabouts are you joining us from? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm in Montreal. Um, yeah, I've, I've just gotten back from from tour. I just did a few shows in uh, in London and in Paris, and it was really fun. So now I'm I'm back home, and for a little bit, I'm I'm sort of anxious to get back on the road. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm good. How are you? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very uh, glad to be chatting to you this afternoon. Um, and um, yeah, how was the tour? How were the shows in in Europe? It was it was amazing. I'm I'm happy. So we had three shows in London, mm. um, and then one show in Paris. And I'm happy that we got to spend a bit more time in London. Um, obviously, got to meet some of the people <clears throat> on my team, um, which was really awesome because you know these are people I've been working with for like a year now or more. Um, so it was really special, and I'm obsessed with London. I think I want to move there. Oh, nice. <laughs> Maybe my next uh, my next home. Oh, uh, cool. Well, I mean, how has it been in general over the past few weeks? Presumably it's been quite a busy time with the uh, with the release of the EP and, you know, everything that, that comes with that. How, how have you found, like, the last few weeks or, or, or months? Yeah, well, it's been... It's sort of weird because, you know, all of this stuff I've I prepared quite a while ago. So mm. I think anything that I need to do for the EP is sort of done, aside from the shows. I have another show tonight. Um, but as far as, you know, creating content and stuff like that, I'm sort of, I'm sort of moving on to whatever will be next because I feel like this baby is out of, into the world and, you know, I think I want to do a a full length album. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm sort of moving back into the creative process, which is exciting, but it also feels really, um, just really weird because I've been in a different mode for, for like almost two years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about the origins of the EP. You know, when when did you first start working on it? How did it all kind of come together? Can you kind of give us the give us the story behind the EP? Yes. So, um, I huh, I struggle with PTSD. Um, I had a difficult upbringing, to say the very least. And um, I moved to Montreal and it was, you know, everything I'd ever dreamed. And it was, you know, parties all the time. And I sort of found dancing, like really found this sort of place, these discos, if you will, but like really just techno clubs and, and whatever. And it, it felt so like beyond the, you know, drinking or whatever, it was just euphoric in the sense of connecting with other people and dancing to music and sort of not thinking about everything for a little while. It became a really, really important sort of ritual for me. And I did it all the time. So then obviously COVID hit and the dancing was gone. And I did not realize until, you know, it was gone, like how much I depended on it. Um, And we would have, I had a, I had one roommate and I had friends living upstairs too. So it was sort of like a little, covid bubble i suppose of like four people and we would make little dance parties and i set up lights all around like my house and stuff and 
but at the same time, we were all pretty, you know, depressed. Like we all wanted, we had things that were supposed to be going on in our lives that weren't. So in my head, it was sort of like a little, a little safe space, a little disco for these, like, you know, for my friends that were really deeply affected by this, um, you know, by this pandemic, as you know, so many of us were. Um, and I started writing songs out of that, out of isolation, out of the way I was feeling at that time. Some of them you can hear like in Cherry, I was really frustrated and I felt insecure. And, and that was a lot of the things that sort of like social anxiety that all of a sudden spawned that I'd never had social anxiety before. It was just, it's just become a thing now. Um, and then there's other ones like cut me loose where like, I'm sort of talking to that side of myself and, and asking myself to, let myself go and let myself dance and enjoy life. So it's sort of an internal battle for sure, but also creating a safe space for people who have that same internal battle, if that makes sense. Sorry if that was really long winded. No, no, but not at all. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's interesting what you, you know, what you said about how, you know, prior to, to the pandemic, you didn't, you know, suffer with social anxiety or anything like that, but it's something that's come about since then. I, feel like we're still you know we're still dealing with the ramifications of it a little bit i think aren't we it was such a it was such a you know t- tumultuous and sort of traumatic period for, for people for so many different reasons i think we are still kind of figuring our way out of that you know it's one of those things that we don't like to talk about too much now because and understandably because it's a bit like you know everyone's been you know how many years you know talking about covid and lockdown and all of that kind of stuff but i do still think we're 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 dealing with it and processing it and kind of discovering the, the impacts that it's, that it's had on, on all of us. No, 100%. That's, that was a big feeling. And, you know, I gained weight as well throughout the pandemic. I feel like my, my body changed, my personality changed. It was just, and it's still something that I'm dealing with. I still feel like a new person or like a different person. Um, I'm really proud of this person now, Mm. but there was, quite a long stretch of time where I wasn't and where I just felt really, you know, I wanted to dissociate and I didn't want to, you know, be, I just longed to be that like, you know, cause I was, I was 19, I was 20 when it started. And I was just like, I had like, you know, one year of coming into adulthood and, you know, going out and stuff and having fun and meeting people and whatever. And then it was like gone kind of. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's such a horrible time to, to have experienced it as well. I think every, you know, every person, every generation, every stage you're at in your life, you're going to have experienced it so differently as well. You know, even though we were all kind of living under fairly uniform circumstances um, by being locked down, we all, we all felt it so differently. And at that kind of age, that's, you know, that's going to be far different to someone who's going to, you know, you, you, at that point you, you know, you, you want to be, it's a social time, isn't it? You you want to be out. You want to be doing things. You're not going to be as content to go. Oh, we'll just sit in front of the TV every night for the next, you know, however many months. And exactly. and and I will say, like, I'm grateful to the fact that I did get to move to Montreal and I did get to make friends out here and I did get to like build a whole social network and experience clubbing and all of that stuff because I feel even worse for people who are like in high school or yeah. maybe like their graduating year and they're supposed to move away and they can't. Like, I couldn't. You know, um, so I'm happy that for for me still, like, I think that I'm still really grateful to the place that I was at, you know, yeah. but, it's, you know, it, it impacted everybody differently. And, and it's just it's just really nasty. But it is like you said, like people 
don't want to talk about it so much, which is understandable, but I think it's also important to like recognize sort of the aftermath of it and how people's mental health have been mm. impacted by it because I mean, the government should be paying for therapy. I, that's mm. like my stance because um, this has been absolutely insane, yeah. but you know, would they do that? Not so sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. It's, it's, it's something that needs to be uh, discussed and kind of dealt with properly. I think, you know, to undergo a once in a, you know, once in a century or whatever kind of, you know, event like that to just kind of, as soon as it's over, be like, right, that's done with sweep it under the rug. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's something that will still be, I'm sure people will still be discussing in many years to come. Um, so when did you first begin kind of actually not just coming up with the, with these musical ideas, but writing and recording and, and actually getting them down? What was that process like? So I think I'm trying to think, I think Cherry was the first one that we did, which also might be like why it sounds so radically different from the rest of the songs mm. on the project. Um, Cherry was the first one that we did. That one we just did at home. Uh, we have a home studio. My my partner is a producer that I work with a lot of the time. He's very talented. Um, so that one we just did at home. It felt really natural. We didn't have a lot of references. It was just sort of, you know, had an idea. He was working on a beat. It was just simple. Um, some of the other ones I wrote actually for Tavlo because I met her or Tuvelu. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I, well, I, you know, sort of by chance met her at this music festival in Montreal and which was wild. I was, you know, trying to keep my composure and mm. I managed to keep my composure and we ended up partying until 5am, which was um, really special. <laughs> and I sent her after that these songs, but it was quite a while after it. Yeah. I didn't anticipate really getting a response and I didn't which I'm really happy about because um, I believe Plastic, Hands, and Cut Me Loose were written with her in mind. So, I, you know, but I was also just really in love with that sound and the, the songs meant so much to me. And I was like, the only way I would ever give these up is if she took them <laughs> and she didn't. So I was like, okay, cool. Um and yeah, so that's, I think the majority of the songs were either just either at home or with uh, those songs. Also the ones for Tableau, they were for Kevin, uh, with Kevin Fix. He's a really talented producer as well. Yeah. Um, and a good friend now. But, but yeah, they were with, with my partner and with, uh, and with Kevin. And so quite different sessions, I guess, but hopefully it's somewhat cohesive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it certainly feels cohesive, you know, from from a listener's perspective. You know, it certainly feels like it works as a as a complete EP. Um, <laughs> when did you, you know, how long was the gap between finishing the recordings and and the production sessions and then releasing? Yeah, it's always a lot longer than people think. Mm. Um, it was. Oof like a year and a half maybe. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the songs I write really quickly. Like I'm, I'm one of those like 20 minute, you know, bang out a bop sort of thing mm. and then get on with my day. Um, I like to, I like to work really quickly. Um, we probably wrote the entire EP in about three days. Okay. Yeah. That is quick. 
Yeah, if you combine everything. The, the one that took the longest was Sunny and Cher, actually, to be fair. Sunny and Cher was technically the first one, and I wasn't sure if I was going to include it on the project or not, but it was so disco that I felt like I couldn't not include it. Mm. Um, that one took a long time because I was working with producers that were in L.A., so it was just you know back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But the actual writing for me is 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 a quite quite quick, and then the rest that takes the whole year and a half is the music videos and the visuals and the marketing plan and paying everybody and figuring out how to how to do all of that sort of thing. That takes a really long time, but I'm so happy that I gave it that time. To, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. How did it feel to finally release the EP? So I'm always curious, you know, I mean, it was a, a very familiar story, I think, with a lot of people around COVID where they'd written stuff and they were preparing to release it and then their schedules got completely, you know, sidetracked because of everything that was happening. Um, when you've been, you know, when you finished writing and been sitting on material like that for quite a long time, how does it feel to then be releasing it again? Do you kind of feel distanced from it in any way? Is there like, a, you know, how, how do you kind of get back into the same mind mind frame that you were in at the time of writing to kind of go out and perform those songs and uh promote that that record is it something that kind of takes a little bit of getting used to or is it just you know you're straight back in there and you know the same way that you would have been had you released them within a a couple of months of, of finishing them i think i spent i've spent so much time writing about this project and what it means to me and talking about it and whatever that i I feel very much that I'm still in the world of this project. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still at the disco, if you will. I'm, I'm very, um, yeah, I'm very <clears throat> enveloped in it. And also I really love the songs. I'm really proud of them. I listen mm. to them. I listen to my own stuff. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But <laughs> cause, cause you know, and I didn't used to when I was younger, I think if I think when I was younger, I probably would have said, you know, I'm, oh, I'm so over this song. I want to move on to the next thing. Mm. Um, you know, and creatively, I'm for sure moving on to the next thing. And you know, when I'm in the studio and stuff, but but I'm 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 not sick of them. I'm really proud of them. I'm really happy that you know. Yeah, yeah. I I like listening to them, and I'm yeah. Yeah. But it it took a while to get here as well, where I was making songs that I actually really like listening to. Yeah, I mean that yeah. that leads quite neatly into in into my next question which was to kind of to to really go back to the beginning with you and your you know when, when music first started to become a meaningful and significant thing in your life do you remember those kind of first moments of even if it wasn't necessarily you know in a writing or creative capacity but the first time that you really felt music becoming an integral part of your being it goes back so far for me. I don't know. It, like my mum used to tell me that I was tapping my toes to the beat before I could walk. And like, this is my mum's words, not mine. So I'm not trying to brag at all, but genuinely we have a very musical family. It's very much in my genetics. Um, my dad is a multi-instrumentalist. My mom is an amazing singer. She doesn't sing much, but, she is she's really good and she sang a lot <laughs> when I was younger and she's cleaning stuff. Um, so it's just always been there. 
she also was like very, very adamant about um, musical education. And she would always play me. Like I was named after a Bjork song. My, my government name, Isabel. That's, oh, wow. that's a Bjork song. Yeah. So, you know, weird art kid. Is Great song to be named after as well. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's a beautiful song. And, you know, I didn't appreciate it when I was little. I was like, this is weird. And, you know, I would, <laughs> I would tell people about it and they'd be like, that's weird. But I'm, I'm so grateful for it now. I mean, I love Bjork. So, mm. so yeah, so I guess it's just always been there. I think maybe as far as wanting to be a musical artist though, I used to watch like much music, like the music videos. Mm. I love music videos. I love music videos. I, I might get into directing, honestly, because I want to be on set of a music video all of the time. Mm. Um, it's just so fun to have. It just elevates it so much. It really like helps, I think, create a world and helps people understand um, what your vision is completely and totally. So maybe that was the moment that I was like, okay, I want to do it's, it's such an interesting thing the the way that the kind of art of music videos has has changed like you know as i you know i grew up absolutely loving music videos i was obsessed with them and i you know my a lot of my favorite artists i was always like really excited to see what the new videos were going to be like people like bjork who all of their videos are like just incredible okay. they're they're so they're so they're so interesting you know they're forget whether or not even like the music they just stand alone um as, as great pieces of art in and of themselves but yeah i'm not sure if that really exists anymore because people don't watch mtv for music videos so much i mean i, I guess there are people that are still watching music videos they're just not consuming them in the same way as they were before and i don't know maybe budgets aren't quite the same these days as well for it, well it's artists. true but at the same time when you have a good music video it really lends itself to the success of the song i feel like people don't credit them enough because I think of like Troy Sivan, like rush recently, mm-hmm. that music video that was like when, you know, doing that little dance and everything that yeah. so contributed to the success of that song. And what an amazing music video. I am obsessed. Sim, sim, I'm sure the same director probably did the one for got me started. Cause it's all like the same sort of color scheme and it's super beautiful. And then um, I also think of like Lil Nas X mm-hmm with Montero and all the crazy visuals that he came up with that people still consume them. You know, I feel like it's just not maybe not given. Cause I hear that all the time. There's a lot of people in the music industry that say, Oh, no one cares about music videos anymore. Yes, they do. It's just like, maybe, you know, there isn't as much money to be made, unfortunately, but people for sure care about them. I think. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think you're, you're probably right. Actually. It's just, yeah, people because they're not seeing them on MTV. It's it's seen as that you know they've disappeared. When yeah, you're it's right. They, they haven't. Um, but uh, I mean, okay, that's from that point. When did you start actually writing and kind of dabbling in creating your own music? What was that? What was that process? Was there ever like a a moment that? sparked that that decision you know i I want to create a a, a light bulb type moment or was it something that you just kind of did a little bit of and gradually got more and more into what was that process into being you know going from being like a music fan to actually someone who's writing and creating their own records i started writing music i think when i was around seven years old okay so quite early 
very early. Yeah. I think again with the whole musical education and and very musical family, as much as they maybe don't realize it or don't you know they aren't practicing musicians, but they are very musical. Um, yeah, I I have some of my old songs that I wrote. <laughs> I have I have them there, I, and I used to write them. And I I think I might have a little bit of a synesthesia thing going on. And I don't want to say that because I feel like a lot of people say that I have synesthesia, and you know, who's to say I haven't done a test or whatever. But when I was little, I used to write my songs in different colored sharpies, like depending on what color that song was. Okay. So I have all of these like like orange, purple, blue, pink, like songs. And then some of them are the same color because they're in the same category in my mind. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know how to write music. Uh, I still don't. So I would write little, like, <laughs> like little lines, like little stairs. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I could just try to remind myself how they went. But um, yeah. I, yeah, so it started a long, long time ago, and the songs were very dramatic for a seven-year-old to be doing. <laughs> um, later on, I was in punk bands, you know, cover bands, lots of Arctic Monkeys sort of stuff. Um, and I started doing minnow stuff when I moved to Montreal. That's when I started doing, like, just by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, was there... Was there, a, you know, I'm I'm curious to know what some of your musical influences would have been around that point. Were there, you know, any artists or particular records that that helped shape the direction you were going to go in artistically and creatively? Anything that kind of really, I know that's such a broad and big question, but you know, I, I'll ask it anyway. Is there, yeah, what, <laughs> what, what were some of the real pivotal musical moments in your life? I think. Um... Sitha Control is a big one. I love okay. that record a lot. Um, I love So Sad, So Sexy by Licky Lee. Mm. Um, that's an incredible album. Yeah. Underrated too. It's like, yeah. you know. I, I think she's underrated full stop, isn't she? She's, um, yeah, she's so good. Amazing. And, the, and, you know, we were talking about music videos, like the visual aesthetic as well is just so on point and so cohesive with her sound, which I really love. Mm. Of course, Lana Del Rey, of course, Marina the Diamonds, that whole like 2014 Tumblr girl era. I for sure had Tumblr. I paid for my theme. It was a whole thing. Um, yeah, there's, you know, there's a ton, but those sort of stick out to me the most because I think like SZA Control... And so that's so sexy came out around the time that I started doing minnow stuff. So I think those ones were really big. And then older influences for me too is like, you know, Madonna and, and uh, Donna Summer. I don't know, there's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> the big mix. Cool. So what's next for you now that you've you know finally released this EP? Are there already? new tracks, new music in the works. What, what does the, the remainder of 2023 and kind of, you know, looking into 24 look like for you? Well, I have some songs I've written that will come out, I think as singles, but I am trying to write an album, like a full length thing with a whole visual concept and the whole thing. Um, and it, I don't know how long it'll be before that comes out. 
But in the meet, like in between time, though, I, I want to do some maybe some collaborations with other artists and release a few more singles. And I still want to live in this in this bleeding hearts disco world. You know, I'm really proud of it. it. Took a long time to sort of figure out that direction and the visual and everything. So um, I'm happy to stay in there at least till next year, and then sort of do something new. Yeah, amazing. Well. Thank you so much for for taking the time to join us today. I do really appreciate it, and um, it's been it's been fascinating talking to you. And um, I'm really intrigued to see uh, to see where where the next EP or the next album goes from here. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.